Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Hey, just before we get started, this is a conspiracy, paranormal, and true crime podcast. The nature of this podcast is gory, unsettling, and definitely vulgar. And we curse a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. So be advised. So we're just two idiots with a mic. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan. And she's the bride. To be. Because I got in engaged. Yeah, Morgan's <laughs> going to the chapel and, and she's gonna, gonna get married. <laughs> I can't it even believe it. stunning. Morgan, tell us everything. Okay, 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 okay. So Aaron had this trip to Biltmore planned and Taylor is a bitch. <laughs> And no, no. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> let me let, actually let me tell you the leading up to it. And I'll let her tell you the sweet part, but I'm going to tell you just how much of a brat this bitch is. I was stressed. I had recording after recording after recording because of Aaron. <laughs> so, we it was worth it. If you're on our Patreon, you will have already seen the video about the days leading up to Morgan's engagement. And by days, I mean one singular day because I could not do anything until we were done seeing each other and we had seen each other literally Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah. Well, not Friday. We didn't see each other on Friday. Well, we ended up seeing each other on Friday. Yeah. I had to wait until Thursday night after the recording to actually get things together because we were around each other so much and if I was preparing for it, I was going to be emotionally invested in it and I wouldn't have done a good job <laughs> because Morgan, so Aaron's like, hey, we're going to the Biltmore. Go ahead and give them this like the, the beforehand. Okay, yeah, so Aaron tells me that we're going to the Biltmore. And the first thing that I do is I interrogate Taylor. I'm like, why am I going to the Biltmore? Is he proposing? Taylor's not a good liar to my face. Yeah, I'm not Taylor can lie to me through text, mm-hmm. through FaceTime, through call. Mm-hmm. FaceTime iffy. As long as I As just- long as you can, like, put the phone down and, like, let me see your eyes only. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But no. To her face. And she was like, I know nothing about what you're saying. And at that point in time, I truly didn't And know I anything. was like, okay, well, maybe... I'm not. Maybe I'm being crazy. Maybe I'm being crazy. Crazy girl. So flip side of this, I didn't really know a ton because it kind of fell into place at the perfect time. All I know is when Morgan went to Marley's wedding, I get a call. The call is, I need you to clear two weekends in July. 
And I'm like, great, what two weekends? And he's like, oh, the 9th and the 16th. I'm like, oh, great, so the only two weekends where we're both in the state of Tennessee? Perfect. Those? Okay, perfect, 100%. So how the fuck am I going to tell Morgan that we're moving all of our 90 recordings to the middle of the week? (laughs) And they're like, just figure it out. You've got it. I'm like, great. So she's going to be pissed at me. So (laughs) I go in here and I'm like, okay, Morgan, I have to, I hate to tell you this, I have to be gone this weekend and this weekend. And she's like, oh, my God, why? I'm like, Logan's grandpa died. He really did die. He did. He did die. That is true. He did die. So I I was able to use that in my favor. But that means we have to do three recordings during the week, every single week for the next two weeks. Morgan hates me. I was like, what? And then. She was like, but don't worry. We'll do Marty Davis and it'll be good. It'll be good. You'll you'll do it with me. Yeah. I'll do all the work. And I'm like, oh, perfect. I'll write your script. No biggie. I can handle that. No biggie. So then I'm like, okay, well, how are we going to get this bitch to get her nails and a spray tan and an outfit? And then Taylor's creativity concoction started brewing. I'm like, great. We have a photo shoot. (laughs) We have a season three photo shoot, Morgan. This is the logo. Yeah, this is for the logo. We're using the sound bowls. You need to have your nails nails on. on. They're going to be zoomed in pictures of your nails with the sound bowls. This this is on Friday. You need to have it done. Morgan's shitting her pants. And I'm like, also, you need a spray tan. Morgan's pissed at me. <laughs> bitching to everyone she can about how much she fucking hates me and how she's quitting the podcast. And so I go to my nail girl. At, Tell Sailor I'm quitting the podcast. <laughs> I go to the beard and nail room. I walk in there and I'm like, listen, I need one of you to do the best, which I go there a lot. So I'm really good friends with the majority of them in there. I'm like, I need someone to do Morgan's nails. It's for her engagement. I want Haley Bieber nails. And she thinks it's for a photo shoot and you have to act like it's for a photo shoot and that's why I booked it. I booked me one uh, hers on Thursday and mine on Friday morning. And let me tell you guys, if you have if you live in Knoxville and you have a friend getting engaged, Sarah B nails, she can lie her ass off. Ass off. I mean, this girl was talking to me about the photo shoot. So what are your plans? I was like, you know, like Taylor's got her own like idea brewing. All I know is I'm going to have zoomed in pictures with me zenning out. I said, Sarah, do I look like a zen person to you? I said, do I look like I belong in front of a sound bowl? I was like, I don't think I'm very zen. It was so good. I don't think I'm too zen. So then we get done recording on Thursday. So she gets her nails done Thursday afternoon. We get done recording. I'm like, great, let's go get our spray tans together. I said no. Morgan literally says no. (laughs) And I didn't know what to do. So I just start screaming at her. I'm like... (laughs) She's like, what do you mean you're not getting a fucking spray tan? You're going to look back at this three logo. This is going to be a fucking logo of the fucking season three. Are you kidding me? I was like, I don't, I'm not really feeling it today. I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you're not. You have to do it today. You have to do it today. The photo shoot's tomorrow, Morgan. You dumb bitch. We can't. Oh, my so God. So then I forced her to get a spray tan. Really it's nine was. o'clock at night. She's tired. She's pissed at me. She goes home. She's sticky. And I'm like, on top of all this, this bitch is going to schedule a photo shoot. (laughs) I'm like, are you kidding me? We've recorded eight times this week. So then Friday comes. That morning, I get up and I go shopping and I get Morgan two dresses to choose from because I knew the dresses that she had. She would fucking hate if she got pictures in them. (laughs) So then Aaron's like, well, I'm going to tell her I'm going to go shopping with her. And I'm like, well, she's not going to want to spend money because I just forced her to get a spray tan and her nails. And she's not going to want to go shopping with you after the fiasco for her sister's wedding in the mall. (laughs) That's not happening. It's not happening. (laughs) So I literally drive to Aaron's during the middle of the day while Morgan's at work. I'm like, this is what we're doing. This is exactly what your script is to say, Aaron. This is an ad. And this is what you're saying. And he's like, okay. So his role was to say, when Morgan pitched, I was like, she's going to pitch a fit when you tell and her I she's going to And I did too. I was just pitching fits <laughs> left and right. I'm a spoiled brat. I was like, I'm not, I was like, I have something in my closet. Like, I'm not going to spend money. Like, no. I was like, I want cute pictures, but I'm not spending money. Yeah. I've been, at, guys, I've been asking to go.
go to the Biltmore for years. Years. For as long as she's lived here. Years. I've been wanting to go to Biltmore States. And so I knew I wanted cute pictures, but I was like, you know what? Fuck it at this point. Like, I'm so tired. I just want to lay my ass on this couch. And Aaron says, well, why don't you ask Taylor? You always ask Taylor. I'm sure she has something. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not going to fit in anything. <laughs> so she texts me. <laughs> And she's like, do you have anything to wear? I should have a video of what I'm wearing. Oh, my God. I wish we have to post what she was going to wear. No, my nipple comes out. Okay, we can can block that out because it is atrocious what she was trying to wear (laughs) to the Biltmore Estates. And I texted her and I was like, well, you're in luck, bitch, because I went to Elise Wilde. And if you don't know what Elise Wilde is, that is where my credit card goes to die. It dies. And I went in there and I got me a dress and then I got Morgan two dresses. I and can't then I went, you did this. <laughs> went to Target and I got her new shoes that I said were for the photo shoot, which she already knew about because I t- told her we had to get these yeah. silver shoes for the photo shoot. And then I Even went and got. Even though we're zoomed in on her. I don't know why, guys. I don't know why I didn't. Like, I had suspicions, but then I was like, like, suspicions weeks ago. But then I was like, this is totally like typical, like, Aaron. Like, yeah. and, and no one was budging. So I just just like gave it up I was like oh this is just a planned thing for Biltmore kind of just forgot about it like yeah. I just was not freaking expecting it yeah you know what I mean and then Taylor's throwing a, this whole thing with the sh- photo shoot like that's not uncalled for for Taylor yeah, either that, like, that's too Matt bad. you need to have these shoes and you have nails like that's that's a typical Taylor that is how this business runs yeah that is, that's what we do <laughs> So I just like I wasn't I was it was so good. Everyone did so good. OK, go ahead. Yeah. Keep so going. then after I get my new Bronco, I'm like, perfect. I'm going to pull up. We're going to get in the car. and We're going to go do something. You're going to ride in the car with me. Then I'm going to give you the dresses that I got. And I'll, I'll bring in a few extras that I have in my closet. And I'll also bring your shoes and everything for the photo shoot just in case you want to wear it. Because I also got some jewelry. And she's like, oh, lucky for you. Lucky I actually for have you. this so cute dress in a size yeah. large. I'm so like, I got oh, that's they were weird. of course in her size. Duh. So I get the dress. <laughs> is in her size I bring them over she's like the one that she ended up wearing she was convinced that what it wasn't going to fit her and she wasn't going to wear it oh yeah and I was like was a medium I was like no bring I said bring the sister of traveling dresses that's not going to fit so me. I brought the sisterhood of the traveling dress which this dress has been on probably everybody in the state of Tennessee yeah everyone's worn it we share it with everybody and um you ever need a dress let us know yeah we did yeah if anybody needs a fucking dress let us know it can fit anyone size zero zero to like 19 like literally it can fit everybody we'll cover it yeah so we get that done I give it to her and I'm like okay bye well I gave her a white dress and I was like hey we're gonna use this for the photo shoot because we want to do like a creepy photo shoot within this as well because we're doing another series that you'll hear about later she's like okay great and I was like but if you want to get pictures in it make sure that you do an outfit change while you're there because we're gonna wreck the dress we're gonna put blood all over it yeah and she's like okay the dress isn't hooking in the back because in this dress that fit her perfectly they put a child's bra like a size a it was literally like a like i'm talking like a 32 maybe even like a 30 maybe it was literally a 30a yeah that was was insane so she texts me this at night and i've already had like a glass of wine and this is like at midnight when we're on the phone and I'm like, oh, well, I actually have a bra extender. I don't have a bra extender. Why oh. the fuck would I? I don't wear bras. So I'm like, hey, I have one. I'll bring it to you in the morning. I'll be up. I wasn't up. I woke up at 10, realized what time it was. She had to leave her house at 1030. I throw my body out of the bed. Don't even talk to Logan. Run out the front door. Jump in my car. Drive to CVS. Get what I think is a bra extender. 
not a bra extender. False. False. It was a bra redactor, which we'll get to. And <laughs> take it to Aaron. Aaron comes outside to get it because Morgan's still curling her hair. And he's like, what's this? I'm like, it's just for the fucking dress. Will you just take it and just tell us for the photo shoot? Just take it. <laughs> and he's like, okay. <laughs> and walks back in. Okay, so this is where you pick up. That was all the Okay, beforehand. yeah. So we leave. We take Ollie. Oh, over. we didn't tell him that I canceled the photo shoot. Oh, oh, that's when I got pissed. That's when so I just spent all this money on my nails and my tan. And she goes, you're going to kill me. You're I'm like, what? Me. She's like, um, you know how I thought I scheduled the photo shoot for July 10th this Friday? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, well, have you realized that July 10th is on Sunday? And I was like, you have got to be fucking kidding me. She was so. Like, I she wouldn't respond to me for an hour. I literally texted Aaron. And I said, I'm going to murder her. Meanwhile, Aaron's texting me. <laughs> she's she's going fucking crazy. You made her so <laughs> mad. I'm like, yeah, I know. Thank you. I hope everybody is so happy at the fact that Taylor Morgan played villain. Okay, yeah. Saturday. So we go to Billboard, and all these things are just like coming to me now that like I should have picked up on. I can't believe I just didn't pick up on them. We're driving and we hit traffic and it like take this route. It's 20 minutes shorter. Yeah. So we take that route and it more traffic because everyone's oh off because it's there's one mountain road. Literally, it's literally a singular mountain and road. Aaron's breaking out road rage. <laughs> and I'm like, babe, I'm like, it's a self-guided tour. Literally, we're not on anybody else's time. I was like, they're not going to turn us away. We They're going to turn us away. These tickets were so expensive. I was like, it's fine. We're fine. Everything's okay. So then Take he calmed down. We got there. We walked through security that he later told me that he was like shitting his The pants. ring in his pocket. He was like, he thought his belt was going to take go off and they were going to make him take stuff out of his pocket. Dude, I literally would have been in the security guards here. I have a fucking ring in my pocket. Please don't make me do it. I'm about to propose this bitch. Please don't you dare fucking do he this. He said thing. he was shitting his pants, but it didn't go off. So then we got there and I don't know if he even planned this, guys, but we walked up and I was like, I- I've had to pee the- this whole entire time, but mm-hmm. we were crunching time. I was already running late. You, you heard Taylor. Yeah. I was curling my hair when I was supposed to be leaving 20 minutes ago. Yep. So I was already crunching on time and I had to pee. And this security guard, we still had like 15 minutes. And I was like, is there a restroom out here that's closest to us? And she was like, yeah, actually down towards the gardens into the conservatory. I was like, perfect. I said, let's go there first. That's the only reason I really want to be here anyway, because I've heard beautiful things mm-hmm. about the gardens and the conservatory. I guess Aaron's on this time frame, guys. And I'm literally in this like vineyard. I'm like, take my picture. <laughs> I'm no. strutting down and he's like I'm going to kill you he's like okay this he's is like, enough we've got to go like <laughs> we've got to move like, he's losing his mind Y'all have I'm to making see the pictures take, are really cute I'm making him take pictures of me and I actually think the Hunger Games was filmed there that's what the photographer told me really that part of the Hunger Games was filled in that area that I took a picture in. holy shit wow I had no idea um so anyway we get down there and we were just kind of like walking the trails and I was just right in front of him and he tapped on my shoulder and I turned around and he was on one knee I have never sobbed so hard at the pictures in my life of someone else getting engaged i sobbed i cried so hard i said i literally said what me 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 me? i literally sounded like the bird from nemo or mine 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 i'm like me 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 really me are you serious and it was so beautiful he did so good he hired a photographer he Mm -hmm. paid for an hour session afterwards to take pictures it was so gorgeous so we it it was everything i wanted i wanted an intimate engagement Mm -hmm. i wanted it to be just us and i it's what i kids in the cinderella dress and uh Jesus guys Christ. these two this little girl i don't care for kids and this sorry if you have kids love yours but love yours n- hate not everybody these else's. ones 
this little girl literally not even 15 seconds after we got up and I just finished kissing him and I'm still staring at the ring this little girl comes up to me in this bell princess bell dress and she's like I just want to let you know I saw you on the hill and congratulations and she's with this little boy and they're like we just got married too and I was like that's cute (laughs) bye get the fuck out of my pictures (laughs) like what who's your mom where's your mom oh she's standing right there with them mom what are you doing mom she brought him down to us so anyway it was just it was so amazing we had the best dinner at the red stag and the grand bohemian hotel perfect gorgeous gorgeous we went to this like icebox bar sexual it was sexual (laughs) taylor also bought me and sent with aaron some extra gifts that spicy nighttime gifts spicy nighttime gifts that are silenced god they're so nice so nice go to target ladies go to target ladies ladies. um 10 out of 10 recommend in the morning i'm like oh my god the photo shoot (laughs) the photo shoot's still a part of this the photo shoot's still a part of the gig guys so i'm like i had to get my nails done i'm like literally i was like aaron i was like we gotta go and he's like why i'm like we have to go i said i have a photo photo shoot and Aaron and really I was, was like, convinced that there was a real photo shoot Aaron, guys Aaron actually was convinced he was like no there is a photo shoot so I was like we need to stop at the house I need to do my ma- my hair and my makeup before we pick up Ollie like mm-hmm. you can go actually you can go get Ollie and I'm gonna take my car and he's like just come get Ollie with me like we have time so anyway we stopped home I did my hair and makeup I put on my white dress for the photo shoot and I went to pick up Ollie and I see I have these Birkenstocks on I see all of these cars at our friend Noodle's house mm-hmm. and I was like this fucking Bitch, there was never a photo shoot. There was never a photo shoot. shoot. So I was like, good thing I have my photo shoot heels. And so I pull off. I said, Aaron, I should probably put these on. He goes, I think that's a good call, babe. <laughs> so I take off my Birkenstocks. I put my heels on, walked in. We had an engagement party they threw so for fun. us. It was so fun. Noodle did a great job getting everything together. She had, oh my God, the Trader Joe's spicy jalapeno margaritas, margaritas. aren't really that spicy. But were amazing. They were phenomenal. Yeah, they were really, She really had good. all these pictures of you guys. Oh my God, printed out, guys, since like eighth grade. It was like awesome. Pictures of me everywhere. It was so more. I was like, where did you even find these? I swear half of them were deleted. I don't know where they came from. And the boys stayed out back the entire time. The girls were inside with the dogs. Yeah. Ollie had a bandana, so my humans are getting married. Ollie was there. Anyway, guys, it was the best weekend of my life. Taylor. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, you ready to record 900 times this week? Hold my hand. Oh, yeah. So then he, the second part of the surprise was that we were going home this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, Aaron. Guys, I was so sweet. It was literally the most blissful day of my life, though. I didn't want to sleep on Saturday night, and I didn't want to sleep on Sunday night because I just didn't want the day to be over. No, she was texting me at midnight, on, and I'm like, go to bed. You have to be up in four hours. Go to bed. I couldn't. I didn't want it to be over. I couldn't sleep Friday night. That's why I was literally stressed half out. dead whenever I was bringing you that bra clip because I was just so excited. Like, I Yeah, really yeah. so sleep. anyway, it ended up being a bra reducer, <laughs> but it worked out it was fine morgan had it all like crazy fixed oh so beautiful and And his pictures are so my god Aaron's so cute they're so freaking adorable as soon as i pulled them oh we have to tell you this real quick because we're at 20 minutes we'll put in the intro whatever we're like where are the pictures like Mm -hmm. where are the pictures she said this afternoon like we're getting upset right oh we were getting kind of pissed and we were getting we had some drinks flowing we had tequila and aaron walks in like maybe an hour and a half later and he's just scrolling through his phone. He's like, hey, baby, I have the pictures. I'm like, what? What? And he's like, yeah, they're right here. And he's, guys, he had the engagement pictures that I've been waiting for a day to see. This In just an unread message from an hour. Hour and a half No, prior. he opened them. He said it was just a preview. I'm like, no, that's the entire pictures. 
Yeah. And then we all sat there and sobbed. Yeah. So, oh my God, Taylor scream sobbed. It was I could so, not I couldn't stop coming. looking at them. They were so sweet. I want to look at them again. I know. I do too. Anyway, we got to start this episode, yeah. but it was the best day of my life. Thank you guys for all the congratulations. You're all so sweet. Yeah, they're so Creeps sweet. and Crimes went litty titty for the ring. <laughs> the ring's gorgina. Litty titty for the ring. Are you so excited for when you get married and the hype that you're going to have from these people? I know. Love you guys. Love you guys. All Creeps right. and Crimes wedding. Woo. If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up. And let's get Creepy. <laughs> Okay, Miss Girl, Miss Ring, Miss Miss Gloss, Miss Icy, Miss Icy. What do you have for us today? Icy, Icy, oh Icy. <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna um, jump right in. Uh, you guys know by the title that I am covering CERN. On September 29th, 1954, 12 countries came together to build a nuclear research facility. Belgium. Denmark, France, Germany, Greece, Italy, Netherlands, Norway, Sweden, Switzerland, United Kingdom, and Yugoslavia came together and formed the European Council for Nuclear Research, or what we all know today, CERN. CERN represents the French words, excuse my French, literally, conceal European pour la recherche nucléaire. Or the European Council for Nuclear Research. Okay, let's never read French again. <laughs> Excuse my French. How many times did you practice that? Not enough, clearly. <laughs> but why the spark in nuclear research? And on top of that, how can 12 nations, you guys have to think about this, 12 nations unite for research that could be used literally against each other. This is nuclear research that we're talking about. That's a lot of trust. And so soon after World War II. But at the end of World War II, European science was falling behind. They were no longer considered world-class science. At the European Cultural Conference on December 9, 1949, French physicist Louis de Broglie gave the initial official proposal for a creation of a laboratory. But it wasn't until the fifth UNESCO General Conference where an American physicist tabled a resolution authorizing UNESCO to, quote, assist and encourage the formation of regional research laboratories in order to increase international scientific collaboration. But I'm still just thrown away that this is literally three years after World War II and they're like all 12 European countries are like, let's work together hey, let's for nuclear friends. research. Even though we literally just ruined each other's entire lives. Let's be friends. And the World US literally blew up um, the atmosphere. But yeah, let's go. So anyway, yeah, I just can't get over it. A year later, at another UNESCO intergovernmental meeting in Paris, the formation of the council was approved and adopted. And two months later, voila, 12 countries signed an agreement establishing CERN. At first, CERN was originally devoted to the study of the atomic nuclei. The atomic nuclei is the small, dense region consisting of protons and neutrons at the center of an atom. But they very quickly shifted their focus towards higher energy physics, focusing mainly on subatomic particles. And I'm getting huge Ant-Man vibes here. Me too. According to your standard Google answer, because I am no fucking physicist, and you guys need to remember that throughout my entire segment, a subatomic particle is a particle that composes an atom. Great, that told me nothing. According to the standard model of particle physics, a subatomic particle can either be a composite particle, which is composed of other particles, like protons and neutrons, 
or it can be an elementary particle, which is not composed of other particles like electrons and photons. Because of CERN's obsession with particles, they are often referred to as the European Laboratory for Particle Physics. The laboratory was built originally in Switzerland along the border of France, but has been extended into France since then. This is known as Mayrin site, M-E-Y-R-I-N. Most of the laboratory is 100 meters underground, and above it is just farmlands and grass. A lot of the laboratory, you wouldn't even know you were standing above because (laughs) it's so very little marked. You're going on a hike, and you just come across an entire laboratory. Underneath your feet. And and then you're- Stranger things. So it's stranger things. And then we see a pizza truck pull up, and a helicopter, and 11. And then there's 11. And dead people. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Today, there are 23 member countries adding to the OG list of 12 are Austria, Spain, Portugal, Finland, Poland, Hungary, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Bulgaria, Israel, and Romania. Today, CERN employs over 2,500 staff members. Oh, wow. Over the years, scientists at CERN have made numerous scientific achievements. A project named Inquire that was initiated by Tom Berners-Lee and Robert C. in 1990 led to the development of the World Wide Web in 1995. Mm. The project was originally intended for researchers to be able to share information with other researchers. The original first webpage is still published on the World Wide Web Consortium's website, and it looked a little something like this. Guys, it's code. It's coded. It's literally code. This is the very first website ever created on <laughs> and they're the like, internet. We're gonna leave it up. <laughs> yeah. I, like if I if that pulled up on my phone, I'm like, oh, there's a virus. Virus. Virus immediately. Immediately. You're you're just sitting there, you're like, I'm gonna make like a little direct messaging portal and you create the worldwide effing and web. The link for this is info.cern.ch slash www.theproject.html. The project. The project. The, the world wide web. What literally we all use a million times a day. A million times a day. For everything. For everything. Like TikTok, World Wide Web. All social media, World Wide Web. Just a quick Google search. Hey Siri, World Wide Web. World Wide Web. World Wide Web. WWW. Yeah. <gasps> yeah, WWW. I had you had no idea. No Don't tell me. Idea. Come on. Morgan. World Wide Web. WWW. What is HTTP? I don't know what that means. I had no idea. It was I think that's like code. World Wide Web. WWW dot. I don't know what dot com is. Me either. Interesting. We'll have to look it up. By 1993, CERN (laughs) announced that the web would be free to anybody who wished to use it. In 1984, the Nobel Prize for Physics was awarded to Carlo Rubia and Simon Vandermee for the discoveries of the W and Z bosons. A boson is a subatomic particle that when it spins, it produces an actual integer as its quantum number. The W and Z bosons are what's known as a weak vector boson. A vector boson is a boson whose spin or whose quantum number equals one. Their discovery had now established what we call the standard model of particle physics. So it was a huge deal and they won a Nobel Prize for it. In 1992, another Nobel Prize for physics was awarded to CERN researcher George Sharpeck for his, quote, invention and development of particle detectors, in particular, the multi-wire proportional chamber. These people are crazy. I'm sorry. what? The multi-wire proportional chamber is this type of device that's used to detect ionic radiation. And it also detects charged particles and photons that give position information on their trajectory, meaning that they can see where these particles are about to go. Oh. And they did this by tracking trails of gaseous ionization. Mm. So he created this chamber 
won another prize for it. And then, of course, there is another Nobel Prize for physics awarded to Francis Engler and Peter Higgs for the theoretical description of the Higgs mechanisms. This was given one year after the Higgs boson was found. Or should I say, the God particle. Remember we talked about the unknown of dark matter on Patreon, Mm -hmm. Stranger Things? Yeah. The Higgs boson, if purposed appropriately, can be used as a portal to finding signs of dark matter. Whoa. The Higgs boson is called the God particle because it's deemed the particle that gives all matter its mass. This particle explains why all particles have mass and in turn why we exist. Without the boson, the universe would have no physical matter, only energy. But the God particle, the God particle. I don't know if you guys remember this, but in my Stephen Hawking's episode, We talked about the God particle. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Stephen Hawking's warned us not to fuck around with it. I remember. Which is the theory of the Higgs boson doomsday. Oh. Hawkins said that the God particle is a manifestation of an energy field that's pervading the universe called the Higgs field. Because the Higgs field is thought to be everywhere, like look around you, that that is the Higgs field, it affects the vacuum of empty space and time in the universe. The mass of this Higgs particle, or the God particle, is just about what's needed to make the universe like fundamentally unstable in a way that's catastrophic, equaling doomsday doomsday so don't mess with it so don't right but they're fucking with it we mess with it the higgs boson particle was founded in the lhc this is the large hadron collider that has recently been the topic on the back of everybody's mind the lhc is located 100 meters underground between the geneva international airport and the nearby jura mountains It is the world's largest and highest energy particle collider. According to CERN, the purpose of the LHC will help answer some of the fundamental open questions in physics, which concern the basic laws governing the interactions and forces among the elementary objects, the deep structure of space and time, and in particular, the interrelation between quantum mechanics and general relativity. Oh my god. Every time we've talked about something Stranger Things related, it has stormed. It has stormed the entire time. And it time. hasn't stormed any other time in Knoxville. No. Did it storm during Marty Davis? It did. It did. Guys, the last few times we've recorded a single episode, it's storming and thundering outside. Like, bad. So I hope you guys enjoy your little rain shower thunderstorm. Sound machine. Sound machine. Duh. The collider tunnel contains two adjacent parallel beam lines or beam pipes, each containing a beam. These travel in opposite directions around the ring, and then the beams intersect at four points around this same ring, which is where the particle collisions take place. Okay. The first run began in 2009, with anticipation that it would run until the end of 2012. From November 20th, 2009 until the discovery of the Higgs boson or the God particle in July 2012, they then postponed or shut down the collider until early 2013 to allow for additional data to be obtained. At the end of 2012, the LHC was planned to get shut down until 2015. The LHC then begins its second run on April 5th, 2015. So it has been now shut down for two years. Okay. It was then stopped from, so it ran from 2015 and then it stopped on December 3rd of 2018. The third run began on July 5th, 2022, and it is expected to continue until the year 2026. What? Basically, from my understanding, the LHC is like colliding particles, mainly protons, 
at super high rates in order to observe what's going to happen after the collision. Okay. And that this is something that happens in our atmosphere every single day. It's not something that's unnatural. Like they're not forcing balls of energy and matter to like collide. Okay. Like this is something that is normal. Well, not normal, but it happens in the universe. The collider provides a controlled environment for scientists and physicists to collect data so that they can study this and try to better understand things like dark matter, antimatter, and our universe. But many people theorize that the world, our world, actually ended after run one, which was in 2012. I mean, this This is is the same year the scientists at CERN found the Higgs-Boson particle. The same particle that Hawking's predicted could destroy the universe or, quote, cause the universe to undergo a catastrophic vacuum decay, a.k.a. sucked into a black hole. And we would never know it. Right. There is this old argument that nothing has felt right since 2012. Since 2012, it seems like the world has descended more and more into chaos each year, every day. And it feels like we're like unevolving. Is that a word? That's so funny. You just said that. Really? Like, yeah. Yeah. I'll get to that. Um, Okay. (laughs) But it feels like some sort of major like calamities happening almost daily mass shootings wars bombs etc rover rovi raid rovi raid like corrupt cops dirty people in businesses right like we're going down and down Racism, this really dark hole like, every single day it just never ends and like why are we not getting better i feel like we should be getting better progressing there's no progression there's no progression Yeah, I know. Besides the Mayan calendar, which we all know predicted the end to come in 2012, there was other people who predicted that 2012 would be the end. One of these people is a man named Terrence McKenna. Terrence was an American ethnobotanist and mystic who had advocated the responsible use of naturally occurring psychedelic plants. Love his vibe. Okay, he sounds great. He spoke and wrote about a variety of subjects, including psychedelic drugs, plant-based anthogens, shamanism, metaphysics, alchemy, language, philosophy, culture, technology, environmentalism, and the theoretical origins of human consciousness. Okay. And Terrence didn't necessarily believe that 2012 would be the end, but he predicted years prior that during the year of 2012, there would be some, quote, reality rearranging events. He made this prediction using something called the time wave zero formula, which is the formula that he created. This formula mathematically decoded the King Wen sequence of the Qing like dynasty into something that graphs like the fractal patterns of history. And we've talked about fractals. fractals. So now we're bringing in this like botanist and fractals play a huge part in 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 nature in mother nature yeah and this guy's also into philosophy and psychedelics so you know he's taking dmt you know he's seen shit no one else has seen yeah anyway so he comes up he's rearranging this decoding this sequence and Mm -hmm. he comes up with something called the novelty theory proposing that this graph predicted the end of time and a transition of consciousness in the year of 2012. So to imagine this concept, you can imagine like a tape that's like wrapped in spiral, like you would find in like a VHS tape or like a cassette. Yeah. The tape is time. And as time goes round and round in smaller and smaller loops until and eventually time runs out. And Terrence... Guys, it is monsooning. Can y'all hear this? I know. I'm getting scared. 
Are we talking about the wrong thing right now? I don't know. Keep going. Let's see what happens. Terrence wasn't the only one. A man named Preston B. Nichols, who was a supposed whistleblower who wrote books detailing time travel experiments at the Montauk Air Force Base. Oh. Which that's an entire episode on its own that I will cover eventually. Claimed that they could never time travel past 2012. So this dude's a whistleblower from Montauk. Yeah. Who time traveled. And he's saying we could never get past 2012. Why? Because they couldn't find a tangible future beyond it. Wow. Some people speculate that CERN is what threw us into this different dimension or this alternate reality back in 2012. They believe that after the universe was destroyed by CERN via black hole that we all got sucked into without knowing, our collective consciousness was moved into a dimension that was almost a copy of our world. The copy that is almost exact, except for minor differences. And these differences are what we call the Mandela, Mandela effect. Right. This same theory can be argued that they threw us into this simulation, like mm-hmm. a computer generated copy of our world and that the computer copy is almost the exact, except it's not. Right. Back in 2016, there was a user on a website called 4chan. Oh and this God. is like, 4chan. you know what it is? Yeah, dude. It's like a, a, like a communication board. It is. It's like Reddit, but it's, it's, but it's darker and deeper and scarier. Yeah. And this user who posted as anonymous claimed to be one of the 23 scientists at CERN in 2012 responsible for creating the Mandela effect. Wow. This anonymous user claimed that the planet was destroyed and that we were placed in a simulated world. This person then begins to describe reality as being like a set of Russian dolls where there are worlds nestled within one another or other simulations within simulations. Got it. And there's screenshots. (laughs) Of this chat oh, of wow. this guy. And I've read them, but there's like 19 screenshots. Yeah, we don't need so to I didn't transcribe that. it, but I'll put the links. Yeah, in. Put, you know, put the screenshots because you it can be kind of dangerous being on 4chan. Like you have to be pretty careful. There are links to screenshots oh, okay. from Reddit. Okay, good deal. Okay, thank God. Okay. Like, Please don't get on 4chan, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we don't need to be saying, hey, everybody go get on. <laughs> Everyone get on 4chan. Everybody's yeah. got fucking viruses. So this this idea, the sim- simulation theory is what we're kind of going into now, um, has been a part of Eastern philosophy since the third century. This is a quote by Alan Watts, who was known for interpreting Japanese, Chinese, Indian traditions of Buddhist and Hindu philosophy for the Western audience, a.k.a. us, the us. United States. <clears throat> Alan says, quote, imagine a multidimensional spider's web in the early morning that's covered with dew drops. And every dewdrop contains the reflection of all the other dewdrops. And in each reflected dewdrop, the reflections of all the other dewdrops and that reflection and then so on infinity. Mm-hmm. This is the Buddhist conception of the universe in an image. Gorgeous. CERN's website, which this is not touched on much, but it states that they are researching and studying extra dimensions, gravitons, and tiny black holes. It is in their website. You're kidding. It is in their, you click on research, you scroll all the way down, it's the last one. It's the very last one. It's just the fine print, babes. So say we did end, and we did shift or jump either into a different dimension or a simulation. I truly think, this is my take on it, that this is, isn't anything to be afraid of because really it doesn't matter what's real or not mm-hmm. because what whatever we are living in right now is real perception is reality that's just what it comes down exactly to. perception is reality but i do find stress in the possibility of this theory and this is something called the theory of unlikelihood and this is something that you were saying earlier okay this theory states that the world was probably supposed to end in 2012 like too many ancient civilizations who clearly 
clearly guys come on had contact with extraterrestrials said that it was going to so why didn't it but because the world didn't end in 2012 something extremely unlikely had to happen for it not to do so Mm -hmm. and because of that because we stopped it whatever whoever that one person did or whatever they did maybe it was CERN this set our reality into this long change of unlikelihood and unknown okay meaning that we have reached the end of history what the end of history means is that like events are still going to happen but humanity has reached the end of its sociocultural evolution. Wow. I have chills. This has nothing to do with time travel or multiple dimensions or simulations, but more so about the like stopping of human progress. Like we're done because there's nothing on our timeline. That makes sense. Yeah. And it that's just, why it seems everything like we're just running in circles at this point. Yeah. Like it should have ended. It should have ended because everything has a timeline. I know. So, yeah, this is meaning that we are on our own. We are not supposed to be here and it will continue to be chaos and destruction until we end it ourselves. If anyone is high listening to this, I'm so fucking sorry. I hope you're okay. Anyway, I'm going to circle on back to the most recent run of the LHC, the third run that happened on July 5th of 2022. Most people believe that they fired this bad boy back up to try to get us back to where we are supposed to be. Whoever that is. Oh, is it OG pre-2012 reality? Are they shifting us back to a different dimension? Or are they trying to go back in time and undo whatever we did? Like, no one knows. Yeah, like, where are you taking us? If you're turning on this engine, where are we going? But it could be too late, causing massive ripple effects of chaos, which is what's happening right now in the month of July of 2022. Literally. Because what if they, so what if they did, what if CERN is the reason that we didn't end in 2012? Because they fired it up. They found the Higgs, the God particle. They Mm -hmm. did something with it. They had to have done something with it. They did something with it and they stopped the destruction of our world. And now they're trying to go back. But instead of fixing it, they're just making matters worse. Has anybody seen the Umbrella Academy? You haven't. about it with you, but but I haven't watched it all the way through. It's literally like you cannot, you can't go back in time. Like, so listen to me. This is what I need you to do for me. Um, in order for me to give you my good all around opinion on what we, we've talked about thus far. Okay. I'm, do you have, you've got a little bit more, right? Yeah. Okay. So more. what I need you to do for me is I know we had something planned for you to cover next week, but I need you to scrap it. Oh, I need you to scrap it right now because I need you to cover Mayan calendars and all these other calendars and then talk about the fact that we should be dead, the, that we should be dead, but also the missing years that yeah. would make it and to different. where technically 2012 when we thought the world was going to end was really 2020 so if that's a factor in this then here we are in the third run of the right colander so were they taking us and, back in each run okay so each run get this each run of this lhc it's like progressively getting more energy yeah like they're just trying like it, and it takes a really long time that's why they run it for three years mm-hmm. to build up that energy that they need for these particles, particles to collide to get the research data that they need like the particles have already collided right like they have already done that they did that at like 4 47 p.m i think it was something like that on july 5th european central time or what i have it in my notes Beautiful. later on i talk about it but i've lost my train of thought they did that at 4 47 p.m european central right so the particles have already collided but it's still why do they run these machines for like why is this machine gonna run until 2026 because i bet if they stopped it it would fuck up something within this timeline of life yeah they need that machine open for a really long time and for what because it's probably got to recalibrate after the fact that you're messing with god particles right when literal when literal stephen hawkins said don't do that and has he been wrong no has he been wrong 
No. Maybe no. once. I think once he was wrong. One but time. They, well, I've been wrong they, about a million. But he was wrong after 2012, and they shifted us into a different reality. So he's allowed to be wrong because it's not what he thought it, the world was going to be. <laughs> right. So Period. If they messed with it. Then. Um, some people, <laughs> I know. Some people also believe that when they fired it up on the fifth, we already jumped. Like we have already jumped into another parallel universe because clearly the universe from 2012 to 2022, the one that we were in, was not the right one. Yep. So some people believe that we have already shifted into a different one already and we're already seeing more Mandela effects. Before I finish, I want to touch on one little thing. And Valerie in the stars, this one's for you, babe. Um, I came across this TikTok user and her ad is at Ochelia. That's O-H-C-H-E-L-Y-E-A-H. I don't know why I just couldn't spell for a second. She, this user, she watched the live of the particle collision so that she could get the exact birth chart of when they collided. Oh my the God. exact time. And it's sus. At exactly 4.47 p.m. Central European time, the birth chart shows that the rising sign 15 degrees of Scor- in Scorpio. Scorpio is deeply contraceptive and it's placed as the rising sign within the first house. So okay. Scorpio is the first house. I don't know how to read birth charts, so I'm really, really pulling this from Ochelia. Love her name. Va- Valerie's going to call us and be like, okay, um, let me just re-record that for you. Yeah, Valerie's going to be like, actually, you guys suck. Or she might be like, Maria, you did great. Maria, you did great. Um, so this user then breaks it down, stating that Scorpio has like this archetype of being the detective and the first house, the rising sign, sets the tone for the rest of the chart. So it sits at the 15th degree, which is a Gemini degree, meaning that information exchanged is involved here. And because of its conjunction to the south node, this information is information that we've been searching for for a very long time time oh this is the birth chart re- reading at the particle collision of the when LHC. it happened where when it happened. it happened right before the lhc was fired up mars moved into taurus and very recently mercury moved into cancer these degrees are critical and concentrated versions of zodiac energies that the planets are sitting in so this is a big deal within the chart okay mercury which is about that information that we've been searching for for a really long time that i said earlier is sitting in the ninth house of teachings not too far off from the sun and venus is sitting in the eighth house at the 15th degree this summary of this birth chart means that valued information that has been hidden from us will come out and we will be taught i have chills all over what my body the fuck what quit the playing fuck? games with the universe y'all let it be Just let it be let, let it, it be. be let it be let whisper it be. words of wisdom let it be dun, dun, dun. stop effing with time stop messing with particles just let us evolve and die as we do like i'm a huge science nerd probably more so i than a conspiracy theorist yeah very much and i really like appreciate like the like joining of surge but mm-hmm. or surge cern but i don't understand why it happened i'm still shook on that is this after world war ii and yeah, we're like austria is- hey austria hey germany come on over your I sketch i like i just i don't want to shit on cern because i think what they're doing is really cool but why are you messing with why are you creating something that, yes, it happens in the universe, but why why are you doing that? Dude, that's like that ball of fire that Japan, I think, heats up mm-hmm. hotter than the sun. And if it explodes or escapes that controlled environment, we're Earth done. is gone. Well, like, well, like, why are we creating the sun on Earth? We're like, hey, why are we doing that? Well, like, I get it's fun. It's like a really cool thing, but like, it's just self-destructive at this right. point. What are we doing? 
I don't know. I don't get it. Anyway. I, I don't get it. Hope I gave you guys some answers or at least tried to explain. I know I'm Hell not. no. You gave me a lot of questions. Also, why is the sky blue in the fake state of South Dakota? I mean, green. green. Mm-hmm. Every aspect of life is just going absolutely haywire. And the wow. Georgia Guidestones? Oh, my God. Okay, first off, we haven't even addressed this yet. Y'all have blown our shit up with the Georgia Georgia Guidestones. We saw it. Um, We've just been busy um, trying to trick Morgan into getting her spray tans and nails done. (laughs) So we haven't really had time to look at it. But I don't know how to feel about it because, like, the Georgia Guidestones were guides for the New World Order. Mm -hmm. And they got blown up. Right after all of this? I know, but, like, is it kind of, is it not, like, a good thing? I don't think so. I get that these are like directions for like a post-apocalyptic world. Like you need to have this, you need to have that. So are we but in like, the post-apocalyptic world? But like did someone blow it up because they knew that this, that is not the way to go. Like why would you follow mm-hmm. these guidestones out in Georgia created maybe. by the New World Order? Why would you do that? Or maybe we didn't listen. I don't know what but like, to think about it. How are we it? supposed to listen if we don't know? Man, I'm so excited for episode 100 so you can cover Andrew Basiago and we can talk I about know. time travel. Honestly, we should just do a giant build up to that moment. Just keep going government, government, government. Well, government, but also I'm dying to talk about like ancient calendars. Like I'm dying to talk about it. I think it's time. I think it's time. I know. That's just so difficult. But it's, um, you just get on history.com. Yeah. It's written out there. Yeah. But the history channel is not all that trustworthy anymore. Yeah, you're right. Wikipedia anyway. is more trustworthy. Yeah. Wikipedia is better than the history channel. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It truly is. Okay. It's <laughs> anyway, my turn. that's all I got. You're up. All right, guys. So let's get into my case today. I wanted to take a step back from death, murder, and gore. Who are you? (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? To explore a different side of true crime. And the reason for me doing this is it can be pretty draining on my end to look up these cases, become extremely passionate about them, do my own little investigations that I do for most cases that I cover now. And I just hope you don't mind taking a breath of fresh air with me. I feel like we all might need it. Um, Next week, I will go back to our regular scheduled crimes. (laughs) But for right now, let's focus on something a little lighter and different. But it's still just as bad because it's in the true crime category. (laughs) As I said, yeah, right. Uh, I said this was a different type of true crime and it is the exploitation, overworking, and pressure put on childhood stars. We have seen what this life can do to these individuals, their minds, their souls, and their overall health, and it's a tale as old as time. They get overworked, forced out of the freedom that childhood brings, pushed to their limit, they rebel, the media and us, we eat it up, call them names, drag them down when they're already at their lowest, then they fall into an addiction of some sort, try to pull it together because they're running out of money and they need to save face if they want to have a future career, and as soon as they get it back together and everybody's happy for them they typically fall apart after a big few deals and the cycle starts all over again until they eventually die or are forced through conservatorships or different things out of the media and some examples of this is Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, Shia LaBeouf, Amanda Bynes, Mara Wilson who was Matilda, Winona Ryder who is finally getting her full comeback with Stranger Things, Demi Lovato, Macaulay Culkin and Drew Barrymore which is who I'm covering today which you already knew from the title. As I was searching for a case that I could be passionate about and a story that I could easily tell to you with love excitement and history I was on my for you page scrolling just looking for any inspiration that I could find because no matter how many cases I looked up I did research on I just did not feel like I was going to do that case justice and then hello Teffy comes up on my for you page and if you don't know who Teffy is I love 
love love love love love her page and she has this she does these little series on celebrities and their lives and she does like a super deep dive and they're normally like 15 part series on tiktok and three minute videos and she had done a series on drew's life and it was perfect and it made sense to me and it just seems like in drew's life there's a spiral it's really upsetting and hard to listen to at some points but it turns into a beautiful successful story and it's of drew barrymore a lot of this information before i get started i got from hello teffy's information that she did in her 12-part series on her tiktok hello teffy and then a lot more of this is from tidbits and little things that i read on drew's autobiographies wildflower and little lost girl along with interviews from various individuals one primary source was Oprah's interviews. These will all be in our source material notes, but I just wanted to give them a shout out because I got a ton of info from I them. can't wait for this. You're, I'm going to hate it, but I'll This is well, it's I'll love rough, it, but, but it's it. like a beautiful ending and that's kind of what I needed today. Yeah. Drew Blythe Barrymore was born on February 22nd, 1975 in Culver City, California to John Drew Barrymore Jr. and Jade Barrymore. Before we jump into Drew's life, I want to talk about the Barrymore family history so that way you can better understand who Drew Barrymore is, where she came from, and why her career is so crazy awesome, all right? The Barrymore family is referred to as the royal family of Hollywood and theater. They were even the inspiration behind the Broadway play, The Royal Family, which debuted in 1927. Shut up. Uh-huh. In the 1800s, William... They were the Kardashians. Yes. Okay. They are. This gets crazy. William Edward Blythe married Matilda Chamberlain, and they had seven children. Blythe was a surveyor for the British East India Company. Therefore, the couple lived and had their children in Punjab, India. One of them being Herbert Arthur Chamberlain Blythe. Herbert was sent back to England for education. So he went to Harrow School and then he later studied law at Oxford University. But on the side, he would do like boxing and wrestling. And this is where he met some friends who were in acting and he fell in love with it against his father's wishes. In 1872, Herbert sat for his first post-theatrical photo shoot and began using the stage name Maurice Barrymore. This was to spare his father of the shame that his family considered acting to be, which they called dissolute. And his stage name was inspired by the early 19th century English thespian William Barrymore. What would your stage name be? Me. Taylor. Taylor Jane. Really? Probably. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Why are you going to put me on the spot like that? Hmm. We have stage names. Okay. Bonnie and Guy. <laughs> Bonnie and Guy, that is our stage names. That's if we were comedians. You're right. So on December 29th, 1874, Herbert, who is a.k.a. Maurice Barrymore, immigrated to the U.S. on the SS America. He arrived in Boston where he joined the famous playwright Augustin Daly's team and made his debut, first debut on Daly's play, quote, Under the Gaslight, quote, Under the Gaslight. The name of it was Under the Gaslight. My bad. Gaslight. <laughs> The next year, in December of 1875, Barrymore, which is what he went by now in the U.S., made his Broadway debut in Peak. Um, it's P-I-Q-U-E. Also in this cast was Georgie Drew, who was a young actress from Philly. Georgie and Barrymore had been introduced to each other before this by John Drew Jr., who is Georgie's older brother and Barrymore's first friend that he made in the U.S., and they were like tight besties. Georgie was the daughter of Irish immigrants John and Louisa Lane Drew and the sister of John Drew Jr., Sidney Drew, and Louisa Drew. All of them were actors. On December 31st, 1876, Georgie and Barrymore got married and they had three children named Lionel, Ethel, and John in that order. 
While the couple toured and continued their acting careers, their children would have to stay with Georgie's family in Philly, which they loved. Between 1870 and the early 1890s, the couple traveled often and they were saving for their family, just like doing as many gigs as they could while Georgie's literally pregnant and like going back and forth to rest. Oh, hell no. Right. And they're furthering their acting careers because you had to tour in order for everyone to know who you were and you like, right, there wasn't get fame. There's not the internet. TV, there you, wasn't. <laughs> You're hopping on well, in a car. TV, but not right. Like how we have it. Right. And so in 1879. There was no TV in 1879. No, it's 1879. <laughs> My God. Okay. Is there cars with gas? What was that conversation? No that was idea. on Patreon, I think. No, there's horses and I can't fathom. I Whatever. Don't know. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> So in 1879, Barrymore and his acting buddy Ben Porter were playing cards between shows in like a saloon when a man named Jim Curry wanted to play with them. And this is in Marshall, Texas. The two won money from Curry and this dude was like crazy mad. So they leave the saloon, take their money, go and they go to get dinner. And while they're eating dinner, Curry, who is now absolutely shit faced, walks in and shoots Barrymore in the chest and his best friend Porter in the stomach. Holy shit. Porter ends up dying. But Barrymore was able to miraculously survive. And when he, like, came back to, he was like, well, I'm never coming back to Texas. That was, like, the first time he said, uh, you'd be, I'll be damned if I'm, you catch me in Texas. I'm not coming back here to Texas. So in 1884, he wrote this play called Najesda. And I believe that's how you pronounce it. But it means hope. And he finalized this play before sailing back home with Georgie and their three young children in order to visit his family for the first time in 10 years since he left. While there, he was introduced to the French acting star Sarah Bernhardt. And he gave her a copy of this manuscript, being like, if you like it, let me know. But he had not copyrighted it yet. So Sarah's friend stole this play, turned it into an opera, renamed it, and made millions and millions of dollars. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It devastated Barrymore. I'd been like, hey, you want to go to Texas? (laughs) Right. You want to go to Texas real fast? I know this guy named Jim Curry. He's super nice. He would love to play cards with you. We love Jim. Right. And he even tries to sue over this, but obviously he's unsuccessful because he's suing from across the sea. So in 1890, the Barrymores purchased a large farm on Staten Island because they loved animals and they bought like a ton of random exotic animals to raise there. And three years later, Georgie Drew dies of tuberculosis, leaving Barrymore as a widower with three teenagers, which is forcing him to have to work harder in his career to be able to make money for them. Right. So in 1896, Barrymore becomes the first Broadway star to headline vaudeville. By 1890, he starred in The Heart of Maryland, Becky Sharp, and toured the U.S. with The Battle of the Strong. So he's doing great. Like, he's really making a name for himself. He's able to support his kids. And at this point, all of the kids, Lionel, Ethel, and John, were touring with other theater companies. But John at the time was actually starring on stage with his father. So they got to travel together. And this gave them a lot of one-on-one time, which the kids really never had had with Barrymore right because he was always the one working while mom was pregnant at home so on March 28th 1901 Barrymore was performing at the Lion Palace Theater in New York during his monologue he goes absolutely rogue, ranting, sobbing, screaming, saying terrible, terrible things. And when he's finally done with this, they're like, okay, well, go back on stage and like pull your shit together. He can't. He literally cannot stop on these rants. So he's having this like crazy erratic behavior and they commit him to Bellevue Hospital at the direction of his son, John. And he was later then transferred to Amityville where he was diagnosed with the lingering side effects of syphilis. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Is that Amityville? In Amityville, right? So while he's committed in Amityville, he tries to strangle his daughter, Ethel, during a visit. He fought the nurses and, like, 
beat the shit out of the doctors and then he picks up a man over his head and throws him into a wall like superhuman strength but what is really interesting is that in 1905 his son lionel was there visiting when they got into a conversation about how lionel was going to go to san francisco for something in theater and barrymore is like nope why would you go there it's gone san francisco is gone what are you talking about and lionel's like dad no no it's not it's still still there there barrymore swore that it had been swallowed whole by a fire and an earthquake but when lionel told him that this does not happen Barrymore gets enraged and he's screaming he's like I know it's true I saw it I saw it like I knew it happened this was exactly a year before the great 1906 earthquake that aligned perfectly with what Barrymore said and described to his son about San Francisco holy shit a few months so after psychic I don't know but a few months later he dies so I don't know if he was just literally like just like seeing, seeing everything like the end of time. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? And he dies on March 25th, 1905 um, in his sleep at the age of 55. All three of his children, his and Georgie's children, went on to be extremely talented and award-winning actors, screenwriters, and radio producers and directors. For the purpose of Drew Barrymore's life, we're going to focus on the youngest son, John Barrymore. John Barrymore's career really took off in 1903 after starring in light comedies, but very quickly went on to high dramas such as Justice, Richard III, and Hamlet, which gave him the title, quote, the greatest living American tragedian. I think that's how you say it. Like tragedy actor. Yeah. Dramatic. Right. Very dramatic. Because of his success with Hamlet, he was able to actually get out of theater and go into film during the silent era. And because of this, he ends up starring in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 1920, Sherlock Holmes in 1922, and The Sea Beast in 1926. By the way, have y'all seen the cartoon remake of this on Netflix that just came out by Pixar? The Sea Beast? The Sea Beast. No. You have to go watch it. It is so freaking cute and good. It is so 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 good okay so he was a silent actor then yes he was a silent actor and this gives him yet another title which is the great profile which by the way he had a great profile like you have to look up a picture of this guy but when sound films were introduced his stage trained voice landed him massive roles because all these people had been silent for all these years they didn't have stage trained voices so he gets in 1932's grand hotel 1934's 20th century and the 1939 film midnight which have all been inducted into the national film registry john is considered to be one of the most influential and idolized actors of his day by biographer Martin Norden. Even though his professional life seemed to be amazing, his personal life was far from perfect. John struggled with alcoholism since the age of 14 after losing his mother and later in life ultimately had burned through all of his money, forcing him to declare bankruptcy, probably a result of his alcoholism and many divorces. John had four wives. His first Damn. W- right. His first wife is Catherine Corey Harris. They had no children and later divorced. Number two was Blanche O. I can't pronounce her last name. Together they had John's first child daughter Diana Blanche Barrymore and then they got divorced. Then he married Dolores Costello and together they had two children which is John's second and third children. Daughter Dolores Ethel May Barrymore and son John Drew Barrymore Jr. And then they got divorced. And then he married his fourth wife Elaine Barry and they had no children and got divorced. 
But who we want to focus on here is John Drew Barrymore Jr., who is the youngest son of John's children and the father of Drew Barrymore. John Jr. was born in Los Angeles on June 4th, 1932. As we already know, he was born to John Barrymore and Dolores Costello, who was a silent film actress. They divorced 18 months after John Jr. was born. John Jr. went to all private schools, including Hollywood Professional School, and rarely ever saw his father. At the age of 13 in 1945, he enlisted into the Navy to fight in World War II with his cousin, both posing as 17-year-olds. And weeks later, they were found out. As 13? Yeah. They were found out by their higher-ups and sent home because they're like, you literally can't be here until you're 17 or we will. You literally don't have pubic hair. Right. So we just chill the fuck out. Also at the age of 17, John Jr. makes his first debut in film with a small role in the 1950 film The Sundowners. He did very well in this role and it led to him getting other lead roles such as High Lonesome that was released that same year. The writer and director of this film was Alan Lee May and he loved John Jr. so much that he put him as the lead in his next film Quebec in 1951. He also starred in The Big Night in 1951 and Thunderbirds in 1952 during which he married actress Carol Williams and they had one child together which is John Blythe Barrymore. Because many of these films that he was in were not successful later he had to move to TV where he guest starred on many shows and did multiple TV movies. In 1957 he directed an episode of Matinee Theater and he fell in love with directing because they were giving him an opportunity that film industry wasn't allowing him to do which is all he really wanted to be was a director. But he's struggling with alcoholism and severe drug abuse as this is all going on and it's damaging his career and his marriage. So Karen John Jr. get divorced in 1959 and he moves to Italy to star in many Italian and UK films. Oh, he's a hit over there. When he gets there, he like months later, like literally two months, I think, he marries Gabriella Palazzoli in 1960. And they have one child together that same year, and that is Blythe Dolores Barrymore. He then returns to L.A., claiming that living abroad was therapeutic and helped him to straighten up, and it it humbled him. And so he's ready to go back into film and TV, and he's going to be good. So John Jr. goes back to TV, and he guest stars in many TV shows, appears in many TV films, such as Winchester 73 and 1967. He was really at this point in time though antisocial and constantly having these outbursts of erratic behavior and again abusing drugs and alcohol which cost him his guest role in Star Trek which led to many of his arrests for a variety of charges and he begins withdrawing even more from acting and society. Because of all of this in 1970 Gabriella and John Jr. divorced mainly because it was discovered that he had a child with another woman named Nina Wayne during an affair in 1966 which birthed him his third child daughter daughter Jessica Blythe Barrymore but a year later in 1971 he marries his third wife this is Jade Macko Jade was born in a West Germany displacement camp in 1946 as her and her parents were World War II Hungarian refugees. Wow. Jade's mother was a concert violinist and her father was an artist. In 1950, the family immigrated to the U.S., settling in Pennsylvania. But Jade wanted to be an actress, so she moved to L.A., which is where she met John Jr. And together, they had Drew Blythe Barrymore. As you all know, Morgan is the bride. Morgan is engaged. Hey, hey, hey. And though I'm very happy for you, I just can't help but think about how stressed Aaron must have been. No, let me tell you, poor, poor 
Aaron, all this past week, another clue that I should have been picking up on all this past week, he has been breaking out around his chin, guys. And I know he's been so stressed out. He's been coming up to me and being like, can I use the serum? Can I use this? Can I use this? Can I use your apostrophe? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Just use whatever you want. Yeah, go Why ahead. do you care so much about your skincare all of a sudden? <laughs> that should have been the red flag. I know. We've all had struggles with our skin. And that's why we are excited to partner with Apostrophe, the sponsor of this episode. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear acne. At Apostrophe, an expert dermatology team will create a personalized treatment plan that is perfectly tailored to your unique skin. And all you have to do is just fill out this online quiz with Apostrophe and talk about your skin goals, your medical history, snap a few selfies, and a board-certified dermatologist will create your initial customized treatment plan. Apostrophe treats all types of acne, from hormonal acne to facial acne and even chestnut, bacne, and buttony. They treat breakouts from head to toe. Guys, I'm not kidding you. Every single comment on my TikTok videos is, what are you doing with your skin? Your skin is glowing. I've received so many compliments on my skin. Like, apostrophe... They work. They it it literally works, and it's customized to you, and it's so freaking easy. And not to mention the boxing, so cute, so cute with the stickers. Ah, oh my god! We have a special deal for our audience: save fifteen dollars off your first visit with an apostrophe provider at apostrophe.com/slash/creepsandcrimes when you use our code Creeps and Crimes. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com/slash/creepsandcrimes and click Begin Visit. Then use our code. Code, creeps and crimes at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only five dollars that's a-p-o-s-t-r-o-p-h-e dot com slash creeps and crimes and use that code creeps and crimes to get your first dermatologist crafted treatment plan for five dollars and we thank apostrophe for sponsoring our podcast as i said in the beginning drew was born on february 22nd 1975 her godparents are actress sophia lauren and director steven spielberg what <laughs> Though her life seems to be glamorous, right? And filled with extremely influential people in Hollywood. It unfortunately was really not that great. At six months old, her father leaves and never creates a relationship with Drew. He's terrible to Jade and just like disappears. He leaves Jade, who is an aspiring actress, with her newborn to fend for themselves while living in West Hollywood with basically no income. So Jade begins using the Barrymore name in her favor. and Because this is really the only thing she had good from. Right her shit ass husband right so she's like this is a Barrymore so she takes Drew at 11 months old to audition for a dog food commercial during the audition this dog like bites Drew like nips her and she just like giggles and remains professional they say and because of her calmness they hire her for this job but so much more than that Drew was naturally drawn to the cameras even as a baby it's like Barrymore's talent was just ingrained so deep into her DNA she knew this was her calling even as a fetus basically wow but while she was very young Jade was still trying to pursue her own acting career and waitressing on the side to support herself and Drew during these times meaning that Drew was left to be nannied and often away from her mother Drew realized very early on that when she was 
acting, her mother could be around more, so she worked hard to land these big roles even at a very young age. Doing a TV movie called Bogey in 1980 at five years old in that same year, she made her first film debut with a small role in Altered States. Soon after, her godfather, Steven Spielberg, was looking for a little girl to star in his new movie called Poltergeist as Carol Ann Freelane and drew auditions, but the role was given to Heather O'Rourke. Obviously, this was really hard for Drew and her mother, but Godfather Spielberg had something up his sleeve. It was a role in a little passion project of his where he needed a sassy little girl, aka E.T., which Drew was given the role of Gertie in. This role was perfect for Drew, as she had the imagination to make Gertie come to life, impressing Spielberg with a story about her being a lead singer in a punk rock band. Hell yeah. Right? E.T., as we know, ended up being one of the high, well, no, not one of the, the highest grossing film of the 80s, making Drew one of the most famous childhood actors at the time. For this, she won a Young Artist Award for Best Supporting Actress. Because of Drew's success, Jade becomes her manager, aka momager, booking her for talk shows, interviews, and many other roles. In the eighth season of SNL, Saturday Night Live, which was ran from 1982 to 1983, Drew appears as a guest host at seven years old Shut making up. her the youngest guest host of the entire series queen today, right on snl she was being hilarious well-timed and great with her memorization even at such a young age but on a personal note she begins hating going to school because she's being continuously bullied even while living in like west hollywood she's literally going to school with like other childhood actors and children of famous hollywood individuals and like, just tell me you're jealous. Like, tell me you're jealous. I would have been like, were you in E.T.? Right. Were you in the highest grossing film of the I didn't think so. Mm, didn't think so. Were you, you on Saturday Night Live? I didn't think so. Right. In 1984, Drew was casted in a horror film called Firestarter, which was an adaptation of Stephen King's novel. That same year, she starred in a Irreconcilable Differences. Thank you. Um, <laughs> which made $12 million in the box Holy office. Holy shit. For this role, she was nominated for her very first Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actress. At this point in time, Drew was really any everything that anybody could ever talk about because she was... They're obsessed with her. Yeah, everybody's obsessed with her. She's super cute. She's sassy. She's well-spoken. Spunky little girl. She's a Barrymore. And like, she's a professional. Right. She's a professional at literally six, seven, five years old. Yeah. 11 months old, honest to God. Yeah. I'd be obsessed with her too. Right. And they begin paying her tons for these shows and these movies. She's being offered roles. And her and her mother are finally able to start living comfortably, which allows Jade to file for divorce against John Jr. as he had started showing up again. He would literally break into their house and beat both Jade and Drew, forcing them to give him cash. Oh, my God. That makes me so sick. So where the hell has he been all this time? He wants to show back up and, like, be all violence right. and awful. Like, where the fuck have right. you been? When the money comes around. Right. So he when had disappeared comes around. <laughs> into the wilderness. Oh, to quote, live a mystical existence. Did he? Mm -hmm. John Jr. was uh, estranged from all of his family and children with his mental and physical health literally deteriorating day by day as he's tripping decks in a forest somewhere, only showing up when he needed cash. But even still, in 1985, he manages to marry his fourth wife, actress Nina Wayne, who is the mother of his other daughter, Jessica, M the one that um, he cheated with on the Italian woman. Okay, yeah. Yeah, this is his mistress. So he marries her. 
Oh, mm-hmm. okay. So Drew gets like really a feel for her power at this point in time and her voice because she's literally no joke. I mean, she's pictured with Ronald Reagan at this right. time, not to mention starring in so many TV shows and films like SNL, ABC Weekend Specials, the voice of Hillary in a TV movie called Star Fairies, all the while filming shows and films, a.k.a. she's working her ass off, okay? She's grinding. She's well-respected in the industry. She's a professional and she's making great money. So she, for lack of better words just tells her dad to fuck off and never come back yes and he does just that and he goes and marries tina drew is almost 10 years old and no longer looks well almost 10 years old so she's like eight nine at this point so she's no longer looking like that sweet little baby girl or even she doesn't even act like one at this point because she's extremely mature and this is a result of her not being able to experience childhood and the freedom that this time as our in our human existence like offers right. us and we see this often with childhood actors they are so empowered and addicted to working in order to get the attention from adults that they love that they begin to mirror the adults that are around them in order to be respected gain attention and get these roles but all it's doing is really just taking away their freedom of childhood and at the time everything seems fine but sooner or later this trauma really is what it is catches up to them and they start feeling like they're lost right and they those were are like the most developmental years like you right. are so vulnerable and you are so your mind is just supposed to be open and you're supposed mm-hmm. to be imaginative and creative and I'm not saying yep. she it's is creative fluid. Yeah, but like, yeah, flu- fluidity is instead the, of this the like correct word frozen in time, like working every day. Like, right. if I could go back again, I would relive my childhood a million times. Yeah, because working and being the an most adult, freeing time of your life. This shit is a lie. Yeah. Why, why are we wishing away those awesome years? This shit is a lie. Yeah. OK, it's literally 10 o'clock at night. You have to be at work at five in the morning and I have to go to Susan's house in the morning. Not at five, but early enough <laughs> for me. I know my eyes are burning over here. And Morgan's literally falling asleep. Like, you know what I mean? Anyways, but as a result of this, of Drew losing her this childlike image of herself from her experiences and her well-respected authority and maturity, she's no longer seen as this cute little girl in the eyes of producers and casting teams, meaning she's not getting casted and she's losing this attention from her explosion of fame when she was a child, um, all the while struggling with school with bullies still yeah that that blows my mind they're just jealousy jealous Jealous, okay but like i would run them over oh my god i i would okay if drew barrymore snl et is in my class we're besties absolutely i'm getting casted on something absolutely yeah i mean i'm her best friend that's really fucked up but like you can you totally use that as like why are you literally be her friend and you're gonna understand why like she was a lot cooler than everybody wanted like everybody wanted to be her because when you're a kid, what do you dream of being? Like an adult, would, and she wasn't an adult. Right, you would dream like of being an adult because it looks so fun, and oh my God, like Cameron Diaz and all these movies. Like You know what I mean? Like That's what I remember thinking. Yeah. I want to be sitting with a martini in my hand. And Drew actually becomes this, and not in a good way. Naturally, when this happens, even as adults, we start feeling alone, and we crave this love and adoration, seeking new ways to capture the eyes of people around us. Typically, when children who are raised in healthy environments feel this, we see them act out in school at home in public but the way that drew was able to channel this need for attention and love was at a level that the environment she was raised in was equal to aka she starts clubbing at nine years old clubbing clubbing at studio 54 vip nightclub studio 54 was located on the 54th street in midtown manhattan new york city the venue was developed by gallo gallo 
uh, Opera House after its uh, owner at the time, who was Fortune Gallo Gallo, who was an Italian opera company manager. This is a three-story opera house on the lower floors, and it had a lounge and an opera museum on the primary floors, and this was designed by Eugene de Rosa in the 1920s and interior designer Ida Louise Killam. The opera house opened on November 8th, 1927, and was closed after three weeks and foreclosed on. Uh, many individuals purchased and fa- had failed attempts at operating such a large-scale business and projects at this location until 1943 when CBS purchased the theater and renamed it Studio 52 because at the time that was the street number that the building was located on. From the 40s to the mid-70s, CBS used this location as a radio and TV stage but sold the building in 1976 because most of its broadcast operations were moved to the Ed Sullivan Theater and the CBS Broadcast Center. Many individuals in the art and fashion world really wanted to buy this building and create a nightclub with it but also like a place for galleries and fashion shows all of these failed until 1977 when it was purchased by steve rubel or rubel and ann schrueger who are new york city entrepreneurs and boutique hotel owners and designers and they created the nightclub studio 54 it only took six weeks to transform this location from the theater it was to the nightclub and it only cost forty thousand dollars which is equal today to one hundred and ninety three thousand dollars that's still so cheap that seems six weeks for and forty thousand dollars for this area to turn into this vip hotspot nightclub for our, i would throw some cash at that the big and the rich and right and you're getting it because it was foreclosed on so you're buying it from the bank like right doing it for chump change at this point yeah Anyways, um, so its doors opened to Studio 54 on April 26, 1977, and they operated the club as the company called Broadway Catering Corporation in terms of legalities. And they called in these experts to create this amazing dance floor and stage lighting and theatrical sets that were mobile, that moved around, so everything was always changing. They had fly systems, crazy lights, TVs, and this was to keep this place dynamic and constantly changing, a super engaging environment. The owners hired the highest level of club promoters in the country to push for its opening night in order to guarantee success but because they did not receive their nighttime liquor permit through the state they used their caterers permit aka the operating company to serve food and drinks which they said they were only serving juice and soda Mm, uh -uh. no you were not The New York State Liquor Authority then raided the club literally after a week and closed it. And they were they had to keep it closed until they were granted their official license and permits. But it didn't matter because Studio 54 was now on the map as the most exclusive nightclub filled with celebrities as patrons because of its exclusive nature and extravagant designs. Renowned event planner um, Robert Isabel, look him up, just just look it up. Okay, just look it up. He was hired to throw the 1977 New Year's Eve party and placed four inches of layered glitter on the floor to create the illusion of standing on stardust. Immediately. My house is destroyed. No. My car is destroyed. Every cab Goodbye in New York the, City any was destroyed. any vacuum cleaner. I mean, ever. there's nothing. That, I mean, I've been through sorority recruitment and that was bad enough. And I've been that to a was just rave, a little bit of glitter. Literally a little bit of glitter. And you're telling me four inches of layered glitter on the floor? Immediately, no. I would have literally walked in, turned the fuck around, leave. <laughs> it would have been around forever. Yeah. So in its first year operating, Studio 54 made $7 million. Made. Like, this is after they Profit. paid everything off. $7 million. Holy shit. And this caught the eye of the IRS, which we're going to get to. 
But from 1977 to 1976, there was a primary list of celebrity regulars. I'm just going to read you a few of them, okay? Woody Allen, David Bowie, Cher, Farrah Fawcett, Andy Warhol, Tom Ford, Richard Gere, Tommy Hilfiger, Michael Jackson, Mick Jagger, Caitlyn Jenner, Elton John, Jackie O, like JFK, Jackie O. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. What? Wow. Really? What are you doing here with your like cute little pressed outfit on? I know. What are you? What are you doing? What are you club? doing here? Uh, Calvin Klein, John Lennon, Dolly Parton. Okay. Okay, Dolly. Dolly. Donald Trump. Of course, he was there. Robin Williams, Elise, Elise Taylor, Elizabeth Taylor. Oh my God, S- Sylvester Stallone. Am I okay? John Trav- Travolta and Valentino. But I want you to keep these names in mind throughout this entire case because it's really crazy how we're going to see these names pop back up later. Anyway, so in June of 1979, the club was raided and both owners were arrested and indicted for skimming $2.5 million, which is 60% of their receipts since opening. The nightclub was then closed with a final party on February 2nd, 1980 with Diana Ross and Liza Minnelli serenading the owners as they left. The next day, both of the owners pled guilty to tax evasion and were sentenced to three and a half years in prison, but let out on parole just after 13 months. Money talks, babes. Okay. And sure side does. note, Shrew Rager, I can never say his name, okay? He received a presidential pardon from Barack Obama in 2017 for this. What? What? Wh- what? Why? I don't know. I didn't look much more into it, but when I read that, I was like, are we okay? Is everything okay? This nightclub is thought to be amazing and extravagant. I mean, God, it was MVP. Like, are you, with the people that we just listed off, and there's millions and billions of dollars in that place. But in reality, it was extremely corrupt. Literally, a man who was wearing a black, like, black tie attire was found dead in the air vents after trying to secretly sneak in, and he suffocated. Are you serious? And you can see a lot more about Studio 54 in the Netflix five-part series focusing on fashion designer Halston and his lifestyle. And they recreate, like, many of these scenes and the calibers of the parties that were hosted at Studio 54. But it was insane, okay? By 81. Straight vibes. Straight vibes. In 81, the club was reopened and operated by Mark my god these names mark f and stanley g tate until 1986 and this is where drew comes in drew and her mother spent so much time in new york city for auditions work meetings networking and you have to remember where the barrymore name gets its start which is the theater world broadway so jade starts bringing drew with her to studio 54 with all of her friends because drew's like i don't want to go to school and get bullied like i would rather just go party with you mom yeah and so she goes and parties with her at studio 54 literally five nights a week for an entire year But the partying at Studio 54 didn't just start at the age of nine. This really is only when the media started picking it up. She had been going there since hosting SNL at the age of six or seven. There, Drew would dance with, drink with, and do drugs with famous men, directors, producers, like all these people. Are you fucking And literally dance on tables for them. Jade and Drew were not like a mother-daughter relationship. They were best friends. Like, it was a codependent relationship. And when they would go to these parties, Drew would go hang out with whoever the hell she wanted to go hang out with, and Jade would go hang out with all of her friends and go party separately. The girls start, the girls, Drew starts dressing a lot more mature. And what I mean by that is she's dressing for the male gaze and trying to be sexy at 
six, six, seven, eight, nine. And she starts describing herself in interviews and to people like, I'm a party girl. I'm a party girl. In an interview with Oprah, Drew discussed how at the age of eight, she had two glasses of champagne at an event and that was her first time feeling drunk. Her first time drinking made her feel so good, relaxed and carefree like a child that she said quote it was like all my worries and stress wash uh, washed away that is so sad I mean, how pitiful is that she's literally like i need a drink and she's eight <sighs> drew's so first sad. time smoking weed was at nine years old at a rap party for Firestarter. at that same party she got so cross which is when you're like drunk as hell and high as hell and she wakes up alone in a stranger's bed and had no memory of anything that had happened because she had blacked out Oh, my God. Her mother initially would write these outings off, like, when questioned, as, like, business functions. Like, we had to go here because it was a rap party. It was a party celebrating this, da-da-da-da-da. But in reality, they were literally just clubs and parties that she would take her daughter to because she saw her daughter as an adult, even though she was six to nine years old, and let her go get fucked up with creepy old-ass men. I'm so appalled right now. I know. Drew wrote about her first slow dance in one of her books. And she's describing like when her first slow dance happened. And she was nine years old. And it was at Rob Lowe's birthday party. She slow danced there with a 22-year-old whose name, Emilio Estevez, who is a.k.a. Martin Sheen's son, a.k.a. the brother of Charlie Sheen. Drew's life was spiraling as she was leaning more and more into this party girl persona, smoking weed, clubbing, and drinking literally every single night. Meanwhile, she's working. She's working on TV, and she's specifically working on a film called Cat's Eye that released in 1985, for which she was nominated for a Young Artist Award for Best Leading Actress. At the age of 11 in 1986, Drew gets into a relationship, her first relationship, while filming the TV movie Babes in Toyland and she later said that this boyfriend was the first person to ever call her beautiful and make her feel loved and like her first kiss and he was how old he was 15 okay Uh but after they broke up Drew starts dating an 18 year old when she's still 11 Drew and this 18 year old would smoke weed every single day get drunk as hell every single day and she would be so blacked out and sick that she would stay with the boy's family and his parents were cool with that though she's never confirmed the identity of these boyfriends she described the 18 year old boyfriend to be one of the two sons of an extremely well-known italian producer and an italian sex symbol from the 60s aka her godmother sophia lauren's son By 1987, at 12 years old, she starts using cocaine regularly, which was the same year she was asked to speak at Nancy Reagan's Just Say No to Drugs campaign. During this speech, she's like talking about the pressures of drugs being forced on children and how it's like so heavy. And she's losing it on stage during her speech. She's sobbing. She looks pitiful. I mean, it's it's so hard to watch. When I went and watched it, I was heartbroken because you could tell she's struggling. How old was she? She's 12 years old. And the media eats this up and they begin calling Drew a washed up has been party girl. And that's all they could talk about was her downfall from this fame and how she's like staying true to the Barrymore name and her lineage. That's not fair. Right. Everybody but her did this to her. Right. This is generational trauma at this point. Like this is something that's not right. Like this is something you want to fix. So that next year in 1988 at 13 years old, Drew is placed into rehab. 
Wow. She's there for not even two weeks, 12 days, when her teen pulls her out in order to film Far From Home. And in this, she plays this teenage girl who gets stranded with her father in this small remote desert town. It's a pretty sexual movie and it's showing her like making out with a grown man. The dude's like 20 years old. She's like dressed very sexually and it's just like not cool. After rapping, Drew is then sent back to rehab where she had sex for the first time with a guy that she had met at the facility that she had been like talking to for a while. But right after they hooked up, he ghosts her and acts like nothing ever happened, like he never knew her, like is awful to her. And this is like extremely hard for her because she's already got issues with relationships with men and this dude just she opened up her intimacy to him and then he turns on her when she's already in a very vulnerable state as a whole trigger warning like massive trigger warning drew then attempts suicide by slitting her wrist because of this she was then committed to a psychiatric facility for 18 months that was extremely strict like you you're team couldn't take you out that's how strict it was during her time there she was often put in solitary confinement because of just how erratic her behavior was getting and it seemed like hell but looking back she says now that this facility saved her life absolutely so now it's 1989 and drew is 14 years old when far from home releases so this is what she was pulled out of rehab after 13 12 days to record and it doesn't do good Critics left many negative reviews pissed off at Drew's sexual portrayal of her role. Around this same time, See You in the Morning was released, which she was praised by the New York film and theater critic for her acting. (laughs) This dude, like, hated the fucking film. Like, he literally was like, it sucks, it's so bad, but Drew did a really great job, so this doesn't do great either. Now she's in the facility, she's offered the role as Cecil in Dangerous Liaisons, but it went to Uma Thurman because of Drew's medical team advocating for her, thank God. Then Drew is released from the facility after 18 months, after which she went to stay with David Crosby and his wife for three months because Crosby said, quote, she needed to be around others who were just as committed to sobriety. She's 14 years old and we're having to worry about this the environment she has being safe for her being sober that's fucking sickening my sister is 15 and i literally can't imagine her driving next year like her in club 54 studio 54 are you kidding me but drew knew that she couldn't go back to living with her mother because it was just going to start this cycle over again and she starts petitioning for emancipation from jade through the juvenile court and she was granted this she was able to move into her own apartment at 15 years old In interviews, Jade and Drew were talking about how they both, quote, needed this time away from each other as it was best for both of them to not be so intertwined, which really shows you the type of relationship they had. Yeah. You know, it was not mother-daughter. It was not nurturing. So now it's 1990. Drew is 15. She's living on her own. And she gets engaged right before turning 16 in February of 1990 to Leland Howard's grandson, Leland Third, who was 25. Are you serious? 25. And this is huge because the Howards are just as powerful as the Barrymores without the, like, erratic behavior in the film and theater families so these are basically two royal families so is this like arranged or like no it's not arranged they just like fell in love with each other okay but that ended really quickly (laughs) and after a few months they split up even still drew maintains her sobriety because of this and drew's actions her rebellious persona that the media has basically given her she starts getting casted in roles again but she's casted as this manipulative teenage sex symbol at 16 years old which we really see in the 1992 
1982 thriller Poison Ivy, which was a box office failure, but it did extremely well on video and TV. Entertainment Weekly then ranked Drew's character Ivy as number six on the top 26 bad girl list of all time. That same year, she was in Gun Crazy, where she played a teenager who shoots her abusive stepfather to death, and she was praised for her connection to the character by Variety. And then she was nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Actress in a miniseries or a TV film. So it's 1992, Drew is 17, and this is when she gets engaged to Jamie Walter from Beverly Hills 90210. Jesus, I don't know why I couldn't say 10. <laughs> I was about to say 90210. 90210. 90210. Yeah, okay. That July, Drew and Jamie posed nude for the cover of Andy Warhol. Remember him from Studio mm-hmm. 54? His magazine, Interview Magazine. And inside of this issue, there are like multiple other nude photos of just Drew. In 1993, Drew and Jamie split up and Drew is seen in No Place to Hide where she plays the younger sister of a murdered ballerina and then she plays a writer who is followed around by her evil twin in Doppelganger, both of which were absolute flops and critics and audiences hate it it was not good so she's really down bad it's 1994 and she appears in the western film bad girls which is about former prostitutes who murdered someone go to prison escape prison and again it flops that same year drew gets married at 5 a.m one morning in los angeles to a random bar owner she had just met hours before named jeremy thomas who she divorces less than 60 days later in may and by the fall of 94 drew begins dating guitarist eric erlinson for january of 1994 issue of playboy drew did another nude photo shoot just before her 20th birthday and for her 20th birthday her godfather steven spielberg dear god gives her a quilt that says cover yourself up (laughs) Oh my god. It gets better than that. He also attached a copy of the Playboy that she had magazine that she had like posed for and he had his art department edit jackets and pants and like boots and winter clothes on her nude photos. Oh my god. <laughs> like what a dad move was that Spielberg, yeah, okay? Good. And finally, when Boys on the Side released, though it was not uh, widely viewed in theaters by audiences, critics loved it. Also, in Batman Forever, we see Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face, and Drew plays one of his two female assistants, and this did really great, and it was a great switch up for Drew. But soon after, also in 95, is when we get the iconic videos of Drew on the late night show with David Letterman, the one where she's wearing the guest jeans, the green crop top, long sleeve shirt, and the 90s classic boots. She kisses Letterman on the cheek before jumping on his desk, standing up, and flashing him on live television for his birthday present happy birthday happy birthday motherfucker holy shit headliners crazy drew barrymore wild child she's a rebellion she's crazy she's fucking wild like literally media goes crazy exactly what the film and media industry wanted her image to be and to drew with an insane amount of childhood trauma backing this is like this is the only way i can stay relevant is by being crazy because when she's out there bettering herself getting help staying low-key and like going to rehab she's being called a has-been right and, and every movie she gets after that is flopping 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 yeah so that's and not they're casting her, her as these like rebellious crazy right. sexual symbols when like how is she gonna be better than that how is she gonna right. elevate herself so drew goes incognito for a few months and then in 1996 we see her in woody allen's musical comedy everyone says i love you 
This stars Woody Allen, Alan Alda, Goldie Hawn, Edward Norton, Julia Roberts, Natasha Lyonne, I can never say her name, uh, Tim Roth, and Natalie Portman. The plot of this movie is about the this like family that is from Manhattan originally, and they you follow these characters to Paris and Venice and New York, and you like go through these characters' lives, and they're singing and they're exploring these cities. But what's really great about this role that Drew played is we get to see a soft and sweet role, and she's singing, and it's like hearted and she's got a beautiful voice and she's doing such a great job at portraying this character this was drew trying to change her image and producers ate this shit up and this is where we see drew come out and scream so drew gets the script for scream and she immediately goes to the production team and she asks if she could play the lead role of sydney prescott the team was like so stoked that she would be interested in this role that they give it to her immediately but because of conflicts with other films that she was doing at the time she had to step down into a minor role playing as Casey Becker. Casey was again a sweet innocent character and the audience had no idea that this was a minor role because it was being played by a lead actress like Drew Barrymore. Right. So when her character is killed within the first five minutes the world is shocked. Honestly because of Drew Scream is critically acclaimed and made 173 million dollars worldwide because of just how insane and like the plot twist and the people wanted more of Drew. This role and movie did so much more for Drew though. It officially reestablished her image in the industry and with the media making it to where offers began pouring in bringing her back up to the top at just the age of 21. But the roles that Drew was being offered were not the roles that she wanted for herself and for her image. So instead of settling she and a friend start creating their own production company where she could be in charge of her own perception they named the company flower films incorporated meanwhile drew is really badly wanting to work with adam sandler because she knew a working with him would help her to explore a side of film romance and comedy that she knew she was passionate about and would excel in b adam sandler's work is loved by so many people worldwide it could help change her image with these other audiences just like scream did but c drew felt like she had chemistry with Adam even before ever meeting him in person or working with him well right after scream she starts hunting down Adam Sandler he's unreachable at this time because of his fame success with SNL bookings his own like production company and his recent marriage when she finally tracks him down Drew's immediately like listen I want to work with you we need to work together because quote we are cinematic soulmates (laughs) around this time Adam Sandler had this idea to make a comedy film about a wedding singer who gets left at an altar and pitches this to Tim Healy I think is how you pronounce it please don't come at me and this dude Tim wants to set this film within the 80s and he wants to make major changes to Sandler's typical scripts because in previous films he did not have a strong female perspective and an actress that was captivating enough that the audience wouldn't complain or mind if Sandler wasn't in a scene so Frank Koryak Koryaki Koraki, whatever. Okay, Frank. See, he is really good friends with Sandler and was uh, is a director. He ends up directing the movie, but him and Sandler had been friends since going to college together at NYU. And he's a really good friend of Drew's. And he's like, look, you need to get Drew Barrymore in for this role. So she comes to the audition. Barrymore and Sandler are on screen and their chemistry is 
something that the audience had never seen before like directors producers they're shocked so they hire her for this role obviously it's a wedding singer if you haven't picked it up already anyways Sandler would make Drew laugh out of context like go off script with her in the middle of filming and most scenes in this movie and he would make all of the songs that were featured in the film secret from her until the scene was actually being filmed and he would turn it on so that way she could have her true reaction and it was spontaneous and filled with love and chemistry like the things that these two did together like just get married right just get married what are we doing please stop don't even get me started on 51st dates oh we're about to get there okay my all-time favorite movie right so this is the 1998 film of the wedding singer and the film was budgeted at 18 million dollars but it grossed 123.3 million dollars internationally critics raved about drew barrymore and the chemistry between her and sandler and they were cinematic soulmates as she knew this is when people start to realize like okay drew has the expertise she has so much talent but more than that she has vision so now she is officially in control and boom ever after comes out the historical drama film where she plays the role that was inspired by cinderella sweet it's olden time it's a classic it's very broadway it's really an ode to the like barrymore family line it's in a sense it's love it's drama 89 million dollars 89 million dollars drew captivates the screen the scenes the critics the audience and now it's her big moment when never been kissed was the first film she produced with flower films releases it grossed 84.5 million dollars massive success so now it's 1999 and she's dating tom green which we know him from playing like the tugboat dude and charlie's angels yeah so now we're in a new era of drew this is 2000 this is this is drew's era this is where she produced charlie's angels starring herself cameron diaz lucy Liu, bill murray sam rockwell tim curry kylie lynch luke wilson who is either an ex or a future lover of drew's i can't remember where they fall together and now her fiance tom green because they got engaged Again, wildly successful, amazing, still relevant today, phenomenal banger, absolutely fucking love it. One of my favorite movies of all time, Charlie's Angels. Love it. Ten out of fucking ten. My mom's all time favorite. Literally, I've probably watched this movie 972 trillion times. Me too. Anytime. Okay. You want to watch it? Turn it on right now. So then it's 2001. Tom and Drew Green get married and they like they have a ton of amazing movies that come out. Well, Drew does, which is Riding in Cars with Boys, Donnie Darko, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. And if you dare say the second one is not as good as the first one, I will personally come and choke you. I will personally <laughs> come and murder you. Well, Tom Green and Drew get divorced around this t- same time and people are getting kind of worried about how Drew is going to react to this. But their relationship was really gorgeous because Tom Green is a very, very well known for being a family forward man and like very much all about family. And he actually helped Drew to build a new relationship as adult as an adult with her mother. And this really helped her to feel like a family centered love that she had never had before. It just didn't work out, but it healed a lot for her in the end. And then it's 2002 and she gets into an off and on relationship with Fabrizio Mord. Moritelli, Moriti, Morty, okay, whatever, bye, who is a Stokes drummer, that's what I know him by, but then comes 2004, and Flower Films, with Happy Madison Productions, produced its iconic, world-shattering, earth-altering film, 51st Dates. Stop, I'll cry. Literally, I will sob at, I'll sob the at the best title. movie of all time. Best movie of history, you can't tell me differently, don't even come at me for that wild success. It's grossing 
$120.9 million in North America, just in North America, but worldwide outside of North America, $196.4 million. And it was her first one, like big one that she produced with Flower Films along with Happy Madison, which is Adam Sandler. This is a big deal, okay? Yeah, She's set for huge. life because of this, okay? And I mean, I still play this mm, well, I love this at movie. least once a month, okay? I'll watch 51st Dates once a month and I'll sob the entire time, even though I know exactly what's about to happen. Okay, anyways. So, in 2005, we get the remake adaptation of Fever Pitch with Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon, and it grossed at $50 million worldwide, but it was really favored by critics, even though it didn't gross well, because that's pretty modest at $50 million worldwide for a one that had big as big as a budget as this. And after this, we get Music and Lyrics, Lucky You, Beverly Hills Chihuahua. I know you and Ollie love. We love Beverly Hills <laughs> and Chihuahua. And He's Just Not That Into You. Oh best movie. movie love that one and then we get the hbo film gray gardens and this gets her nominated for an emmy award for outstanding lead actress in a miniseries or tv movie and then she wins a golden globe award for best actress in a tv film and then she wins screen actors guild for outstanding performance by a female actor in a tv miniseries or movie like it did Hell amazing yes so this is when she starts dabbling in directing and we get her directorial directorial can't say that debut uh, film which is whip it and she had worked with shauna cross for like months to perfect this though it didn't do great in box offices it was well received by audience and critics like you know people loved this it was like a beautiful feel-good movie and for this drew was nominated for a bronze horse at the stockholm film festival and for the eda female focus award at the 2009 alliance of women film journalism i I hope that's right (laughs) because i spelled every single word in that sentence wrong wrong on my notes so now it's 2007 and her and her rocker bf um break up and she starts getting into a relationship with jace justin long but they broke up shortly after until they rekindled their love when filming going the distance and that movie just did okay but it wasn't a hit and they broke up again after this in 2011, Barry Moore begins dating art consultant William Koppelman, who is a.k.a. the son of Ari or Ari L. Koppelman, the former COO of Chanel. Oh. oh. And they Big get engaged in. in January of 2012. And then they get married that June, making the cover of People Magazine. And I remember seeing this cover of People Magazine because you know I'm a People Magazine horror. Yeah. I always have people magazine i wish i had the subscription but logan won't pay for it with me he says go get it when you're at the grocery store okay (laughs) they have two daughters together olive and frankie and in 2016 the two separate since then we have seen drew in many movies tv movies films and working behind the scenes a lot like in blended miss you already the santa clarita diet and big miracle Blended's also much more yeah great i'm sailor yeah now we get to see Drew every single weekday morning on CBS for her talk show, The Drew Barrymore Show, which I love. Okay. I, I know there's a lot of people that really don't love it, but I just love Drew Barrymore. Yeah. So I would watch her if she was literally farting on TikTok. Okay. Like I literally <laughs> like, don't like subscribe and call that. <laughs> I'm also, I also follow her on TikTok and she's fucking hilarious on there if you don't follow her. And I don't know about you all, but I love experiencing this side of Drew. It's very much different from what we grew up with knowing her as. And we get to see like this like nerdy, quirky, sweet, really mothering and nurturing side of her. And especially knowing her story, it just means so much more. But before we close out, I want to talk about John Barrymore Jr., Drew's father. 
Back in 2003, when Drew was in the thick of her new peak adult fame, John Jr. was dying of cancer at the age of 71. So she moves him closer to her home. Despite everything that he had done and their estrangement, she pays for his medical bills and she literally takes care of him until his death in 2004 at the age of 72. After his passing, she spreads her ashes by her his ashes by herself at his favorite place which was joshua tree national park in honor of him and also always stops by to see his star on the hollywood walk of fame drew is a great woman and she has survived in an industry that drains kills and eats souls alive especially of childhood actresses and i'm saying actresses female actresses specifically female stars i don't know why but it's well you know what i'll tell you what it is it's the fact that they're seen as these sex symbols right it's it's the pedophilia it's the pedophilia that has been in hollywood for years and no one's doing anything about it um her story is beautiful and i hope you all enjoy thank you for indulging me as i went on this crazy not true crime little rant but i really needed it and i hope you guys enjoyed it and side note before we move on i want to tell you who drew barrymore's goddaughter is who do you have any guesses Francis Bean Cobain, who was Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love's daughter. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, this is a funny fucking side note. I literally howled I was going to guess, this. like, Beyonce's daughter or no. something. But I was like, really? Kurt Cobain? Wow, that's interesting. Um, Then I read this. <laughs> and uh, she is fully plant-based. Like, she's a vegan. And she's only vegan because Cardi B, like, forced her to try it and convinced her to be vegan. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so now she's, like, full vegan. Yeah, so now she's vegan. But, yeah. That's, I love that. That's the story of Drew Barrymore. Oh, my God. It just makes you think of, like, all of, like, like, this is back in the 70s, 80s, the 80s. Yeah. But what about literally up Before until then? 2000? And, no, now. Oh. You see these kids on Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, like Jeanette McCurdy, Miley Cyrus. Like, it still happened. It like, still they didn't learn shit from what they've done to Britney Spears. Like, all these all other these people. All these childhood actresses and childhood stars. Like, I mean, really, though. Like, we've got Shia LaBeouf. We've got Macaulay Culkin. We've got all of these big... Matilda. Like, really? Yeah. What are we... Do- like, why, why is nobody fixing this? And also, parents, exploitation of your children. Right. Using your children for fame. Are you living through them? Is this a failed dream of yours? Savannah LeBrant? Like, who? What? Zip. That. Donate all these. That's to that's that. Oh, Planned Parenthood? Yeah. Okay, anyways. Yeah, but exactly. And, oh my God, have you seen that little girl, Eleanor Wren? On, yeah. Oh my God, I'm sick. I'm sick. Wait, I don't know what happened. I know who she is. On TikTok, she was found on these, like, pedophilia sites her pictures and like pictures of her feet and her in bathing suits and they were sent to her mother her mother like reacts to these like talks back to them but continues to post her daughter everywhere despite the fact that her daughter is in imminent her, danger because her daughter is what makes her money because her daughter makes her money <sighs> it's sickening that's so sick yeah so really though it's like at what point it's like it's like, at what point do you say, like, okay, is this my dream? Is this my kid's dream? At what, Like, my mom wouldn't even let us get our ears pierced until we said, like, with consent, we would like to get our ears pierced. Because my mom yeah. was like, I never want them, to, I never want to do anything to their body or their image that they would not be happy with when they're older. Now, obviously, for earrings, like, I wear earrings every day. I've got, like, four piercings in my ears. Yeah. Like, I love earrings. But I mean, when did I get my ears pierced? When I forced you to before my wedding without consent. Without consent. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she did no, consent to it. No, I was down. It. I consented. <laughs> we went to a tattoo artist. She had to give consent. <laughs> so, yeah. 
But really, though, I just it's really it's so sick. But it is a beautiful story. It's a beautiful turnaround it is for a beautiful, beautiful person. It's been she's, two hours. She's done amazing. Oh yeah, we're out of here. Okay, guys, love bye. you guys. Do Britney Spears next week. Bye. Oh nope, <laughs> I'm gonna go back to a murder. Love you. Bye. Britney Spears. Bye. <laughs>